Thank you for tuning into this week. Into this week episode of the podcast. Is that coming out right? Yeah, it came out oh. right. You can listen back. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the Rad Podcast. I am producer Brandon from the Rob Anybody and Don Show, and that little jingle jingle in the background is uh, Mr. Walter. Uh, that is my Treen Walker Coonhound. He's at my feet. He's a little upset because Opie has taken over the bed that sits at my feet every day at the uh, studio here. So now it looks like he's going to try to muscle his way onto the bed as Opie looks at me like, what's going on here? Can't we just share? She doesn't, she doesn't understand personal space. No, she has no concept of personal space whatsoever. Um, Walter, you good? Good boy. He's such a good boy. I wish you could see him through the radio. He's just the best. Um, so this week. This week. It's it's this week. We made it to this week. And time just keeps passing by. In fact, we lost an hour here uh, on the West Coast, thanks to uh, good old Daylight Savings Time. Fuck Daylight Savings Time. Oh. Fuck daylight savings time. Why do we Stupid. even do it? Doesn't make sense. Wasn't it something had to do with wartime? And, it did. Yeah. It's dumb. Yeah. Uh, thank you for that insight, Mrs. Brandon. You're welcome. I appreciate that. Sorry, I'm reading. That's why I keep you around. Yeah? Yeah. Um, so, That's what Google's good for. I know. You it's... can even get porn there, so I should be so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, so... <laughs> You're like, know your place, woman. <laughs> <laughs> So this week, I, I just wanted to take it a little easy. You know, take her easy. Take her easy. Just uh, do a little, okay. do, do, do something a little fun. Do yeah, something a little sure. different. Haven't done this uh-huh. uh, type of thing in a while. Um, I feel like just cutting loose, relaxing, taking it easy, taking a drink of water. <laughs> that sounded like an actual sound bit. It was actually it, me was slurping real. on water. That was totally real. Yeah. Um, so just to keep rolling with this unprofessionalism, I thought that I would do predictions for 2020, what people said would happen by this year. And I just thought, why not? Why not? All right. It's kind of fun. Um, so futurist Ray Kurzweil, have you ever heard of him? Kurzweil? Sounds familiar, but um, I he's, read weird stuff. He's still alive. He he he's actually a futurist. He does this stuff for a living. This he's, is cool stuff. This is I from what I'm to understand, the writers of Futurama use people like like him. Really? Yeah. That that's how they could predict that Donald Trump would be president and shit. They actually <laughs> no, from this guy, Ray Kurzweil? No, I don't know if it was him specifically, but people like him. Those those that like, consult those that write for shows like The Simpsons mm-hmm. and like Futurama. Like, yeah, Futurama had this like team of like physicists and scientists that they would consult and and give them like predictions that they could accurately make. That's I mean, it's the same creators as The Simpsons. That's why you see a lot of those predictions coming from The Simpsons. Right. So Ray Kurzweil is just another one of those. Um, yeah. He predicted in 1999 that the human life expectancy would rise to over 100 by 2019. But that's not what's going on. While Kurzweil may have accurately predicted health-related gadgets such as fitness watches, bioscarves, and EKG apps for your smartphone, he jumped the gun on life expectancy. In 2019, the average life expectancy of the global population was 72.6 years, according to the United Nations. That average is slightly higher in the USA at 78.6 years in 2017. Though the life expectancy in many industrialized 
Nations continues to inch up. It has been going in the opposite direction in America. And the United Nations predicts that the average global life expectancy... That is the hardest word to say. Expectancy. When you're to, expectancy. Expectancy. To rise to 77.1 years by 2050. I swear to God, I am sober as a, as a bone. You guys, he is. I, he's, he's so tired. <laughs> you should see his hair. He looks like somebody threw him in the dryer. Holy crap. That, yeah. <laughs> I got some hair going. He's just like... It was it was good through dinner, but then we got here, and I don't know. It gave it literally gave up. Yeah, it looks good. His hair gel gave up. Um, I do need a haircut. My uh, my barber is actually in Hawaii right now, and I think he's going to be back next week. Next fortunately, week? yeah. So I have to wait one more full week until I can get this. Oh my god! I hope he's having cut. fun. Oh, I'm sure he is. He's in Hawaii. <laughs> um, okay, so the next one I got here is that uh, they predicted that. Computers will be invisible. <laughs> Kurzweil had several other prophecies for the year of 2019, including invisible computers. Computers are now largely invisible. They are embedded everywhere in walls, tables, chairs, desks, clothing, jewelry, and bodies. People routinely use three dimensional displays built into their glasses or contact lenses. This display technology projects images directly into the human retina. It's true. Computers are embedded everywhere. We have smart homes, smart tables, smart chairs, smart desks, and more. Are they really that smart, though? They're well, just connected, look, right? Mm, they have the ability to be smart, but are they really that smart? Because we have to tell them what to do. I've always maintained that the device is only as smart as the people who created it. That's fair. Right? Yeah. Like, something can calculate something very quickly, but that doesn't necessarily measure intelligence. Well, that's what's scary about AI and how it... <laughs> I was talking to uh, producer Nick at the Pink Pistol Party mm-hmm. um, about uh, about artificial intelligence and how they basically had to give it free will in yeah. order for it to actually function, which is pretty crazy to think about. But we also project our own uh, humanity onto these machines thinking, well, all they're going to do is eat up all the power and they're just going to want to take over the world. But instead... Maybe they're just there to compute and do what they want to do. Maybe they they have a vision of world peace that does include the human race living symbiotically. But because we have this preconceived notion that Terminator 2 Judgment Day is really going to happen and Skynet is going to send. I think it's based on the fear of our own self-destruction. Mm hmm. You know, our fear of facing the fact that we're not perfect Mm -hmm. and that we can create something we assume to be perfect, which really, I mean, there's those those AIs that are like, how do you create a more efficient system? And I think it was, what did the, the whole story start with? Like, the thing was collecting stamps and like, eventually... Through like the steps of like making it more efficient to get what they needed, it was like destroy all humans. Yeah, like <laughs> that's right. <laughs> they had to slow it down. Yeah. So you have yeah. to like, like if we, which is really based in the fear that, um, you know, we are not perfect and that we have our own faults, and those faults are going to be seen by the AI as an inefficient program, and it's going to destroy us. Mm-hmm. So, but it's in mentioning you mentioned that because I actually have a couple predictions here. That line up with that. Um, iPads. 
for example, were uh, predicted basically by Stanley Kubrick's masterpiece, uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Um, it was actually Arthur C. Clarke that described it in the book in the 1968 novel of the same name. They were called news pads, and they plugged into the ship's information circuit to scan the latest reports from Earth. The postage size stamp rectangle would expand until it neatly filled the screen. Uh, then when an astronaut had finished, he would flash back to complete uh, to the to like the complete page and select a new subject for detailed examination. And neither of these two people actually got to see the iPad released in 2010. They didn't live to see it. So really, and then (laughs) cell phones actually were predicted by, uh, it was Nikola Tesla who briefly worked with Thomas Edison, but he suggested in 1909 that some people would be walking around with phones in their pockets. And then, as he explained to the New York Times, it will soon be possible to transmit transmit wireless messages all over the world so simply that any individual can carry and operate his own apparatus. That was Nikola Tesla that, that predicted that? Fuck yeah, it was Nikola Tesla. Oh, that's fucking awesome. I fucking love Nikola Tesla. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's really interesting to look at his work and how yeah. he wanted to bring wireless energy to the world, which... It's still possible, but yeah. because everything is wired and because there's a whole business behind wired technology, especially when it comes to power sources. Because of Thomas Edison. Right. Who I, basically fucked over Nikola Tesla and the world, I might add. It's pretty it's pretty fascinating though, if you actually look at the science behind what Tesla was doing with the electricity, he was actually harnessing it from yeah. the earth. I mean he was pulling it right out of the air. Yeah. I know. Have you ever been it's to the a... conductors inside the planet that help you attract that electricity that is right in the air? Have you seen the Tesla coil? At yeah. Hotel? Yeah. Yeah. It's so cool. The thing is so badass. It's huge. Yeah. It's a whole, it's got its own warehouse. Nikola Tesla. <laughs> so, also, uh, books were predicted to be dead by 2020, but that's not true because well... the net revenue of U.S. books. Uh, publishing industry has decreased since 2014, but the industry still sold 675 million print books and brought in nearly 26 billion in 2018, according to the Association of American Publishers annual report. Books won't ever be dead. Yeah, I know. I mean, the I, we, we you were just saying that you got like Jules Verne books and I did. I uh, love H.G. Wells books on your phone for I, Kindle, but yeah. there's something about actually having the physical book, right? Oh, it's are not you just a collector's there's, item. There's a whole like you'll be getting a message later of books that like a collection of Jules Verne books that I want. It's like a box <laughs> set. It's pretty. All right. Uh, you know, I I love. I bought the um the Jules. Was it the H.G. Wells anthology? I bought one of the anthologies. It's like all the short stories and essays. I'm searching for something. There was a story I read in one of my English books back when I was in junior high, I think. Um, It might have been elementary school. It was a long time ago. And I'm pretty sure it was H.G. Wells. And it was basically this uh, perspective where they were observing something. And it kind of turned, it turned out to be like aliens observing planet Earth mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like what they would see. Their own satellites type of thing or just a, like, like imagine hovering. what you would just like, imagine you're describing what you see when you pull into the atmosphere of like a different planet. 
like he was describing cars driving on like oh i see from that point of view yeah like but you don't know what you're reading yet right like you get to the bottom of it and you're like oh like and it was one of my favorite that's cool boggled my mind Yeah. yeah uh apparently Kurzweil also predicted that our privacy would be a huge political and social issue. Uh, duh. <laughs> and that each individual's practically every move will be stored in the database somewhere. Well, that's just no, no fucking duh. Well, you want to go into politics real quick? Because sure. Pre- President Obomi was predicted in 1969. Who's Obomi? Obomi. Sounds very similar to somebody else you've <laughs> had as a president. Stand on Zanzibar, an award-winning 1969 science fiction novel, was set in 2010 was just two letters off the real future president's not-so-common last name. So author John Brunner also predicted DVRs, satellite news, terror threats, and legal marijuana. But we still can't get over that President Obomi character. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. I know. When, when was that written? 1969. Okay. And, and I don't think Obama was even... He was been you know. probably a, a young child yeah um the the internet wasn't invented by al gore i don't know if that's news no to a lot of you but the first person to dream about the possibilities of a globally connected community is just as surprising mark twain imagined such a future you stole mine in his 1898 short story from the london times of 1904 i traveled in time i went forward in time to the story that you read here, uh-huh. just so that I could read it myself. So Actually, I snagged it from you, and you I didn't. traveled back I have in another, time. I have another uh, Mark Twain one when you're done with this. Okay. But in his uh, 1898 short story from the London Times in the, of 1904, he introduced readers to something called a telectroscope that used the phone system to create a worldwide network for sharing information. This innovation, Twain wrote, would make the daily doings of the globe visible to everybody and audibly dis usable oh i'm sorry discussable <laughs> too god i am tired by witnesses separated by an, any number of leagues the next time you use twitter and youtube always remember that the guy who wrote adventures of huckleberry finn thought of it first so mark twain basically in a weird way predicted his death um he was born just two weeks after halley's comet appeared in the skies in 18 is it halley's or halley's it's comet? actually halley's oh really it is everybody H- says halley's comet it's it a lot of it kind of goes either way, but it is. Oh, okay. I believe it was Edmund. Was it Edmund Halley? No, I'm thinking of the guy that climbed Everest. So I'll get back to the Halley person here in a minute. But it, he was born just two weeks after the comet appeared in the skies in 1835. Now, this is one of the reasons he's my hero because I was technically named after this comet because it did appear. The so year your name I was is actually born. Halley. No, it's Halley, but. Oh. It was be it was inspired by the comet because the comet came around the year I was born. Oh, okay. Right. So this is this thing I. Good sh- thing I have been saying your na- name right this whole time. <laughs> I think I would have corrected you a long time. <laughs> He's too cute. Fuck it. Go with it. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, <clears throat> it was to his biographer who published his book in 1999. He remarked, "It is coming again next year, and I expect to go out." With it. Oh. It will be the greatest disappointment of my life if I don't go out with Haley's Comet or Halley's Comet. It may have sounded like a joke and it was likely intended as such, but true to his word, Twain died on April 21st, 1910, just a single day after Halley's Comet returned. Does it, does it say there how he died? Because he could have easily just done it. He died of natural himself. cause. Hold on, Mark Twain. Mark Twain's death. <laughs> oh, I know you have to make me do this stuff. Well, I mean, it's interesting. Heart attack. He died of a heart attack. Heart attack. Oh. Yeah. 
What was the other thing I was talking about? Uh, Hallie. How do you pronounce oh. Hallie's Comet? Because I thought it was Haley's Comet this whole time. It's because of the person he's, it's, it is Edmund Halley. I'm not stupid. I didn't think you were stupid. Well, because I'm pretty sure that the person that climbed Everest was like Edmund Hillary or something like that. Oh, okay. So I always get a mix of that. Uh, he was a, um, it was discovered in 1531 um, and then 1607 and 1682. He concluded that these three comets were actually the same returning over and over again. And he predicted the comet would come in again. So it was named after the person that actually discovered it. Right. Yeah. That's usually how that works. Edmund Halley, yeah. I wonder who Uranus is. Think they actually named that after somebody? You're, I know you're trying to make a joke, but you know what Uranus is, right? It's a god, right? Yeah. The no, Greek is it god, a Greek god? It's the Greek god of the sky. Yeah. All of our planets are named after that. Right. He was the father of Saturn and the grandfather of Jupiter. I'm kidding. Uh-huh. So the first atom bomb was dropped on Hiroshima, Japan, on August 6th of 1945. And the second one was dropped on Nagasaki a few days later. But the first fictional atom bomb was dropped in H.G. Wells's 1914 novel, The World Set Free. Though the book was published at least 30 years before the geniuses at the Manhattan Project began trying to create the ultimate weapon... Wells managed to capture the devastating effects of an atomic explosion. Perished museums, cathedrals, palaces, libraries, galleries of masterpieces, and a vast accumulation of human achievement has charred remains. Liburied, he wrote. A legacy of curious material that only future generations may hope to examine. How much do you think, because H.G. Wells actually wrote the book, The Time Machine. Yeah. Do you think that do you think that he could have been a time traveler? Um, Only scholars. Can that. we talk about time travel when we when we finish up these topics? Sure. Because I totally want to say yes to that. Okay. But you need to listen to something I've been listening to. Okay. It's about time travel. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but yeah. And speaking of which, Jules Verne, get this. So, to be fair. To be fair. A lot of fiction imagined what it might be like if human beings were capable of flying to the moon. But From Earth to the Moon, an 1865 novel by author Jules Verne, got closer with more details than most. Sure, the general premise was kind of silly. A giant cannon fired a man projectile into space. But he wrote about the weightlessness the astronauts experienced, something an author in the mid-19th century would have no way of knowing. Verne also predicted that there would be three astronauts on the first moon mission. Though his astronauts never actually walked on the moon, and that Tampa, Florida would be its launch site. The Apollo 11 mission launched from the Kennedy Space Center nearby Orlando. Interesting. So, I mean, one could argue that obviously we can see trends and we can see things um, maybe heading in certain directions. Mm -hmm. Like some of these are really educated guesses. Yeah. Like the Titanic one. Did we read that one? Not yet. yet but uh, before we get to that one, yeah. I, I wanted to mentioned that Roger Ebert actually predicted streaming movies. Okay. Uh, he was asked in, uh, he was back in 1987 in Omni magazine, Roger Ebert uh, predicted the future of cinema. It was an ambitious request for a guy whose job involved rating films by putting his thumb up or down, but he took a stab at it. He said, we will have high definition widescreen television sets and push button dialing systems 
to order the movie you want at the time you want it. You will not go to a video store, but instead order a movie on demand and then pay for it. Video cassette tapes, as we know them, now will be obsolete, both for showing pre-recorded movies and for recording movies. Two thumbs up for that prediction. Back in 1987, yeah, they didn't even have the internet really at all mm-hmm. until the early 90s. So there you go. Pretty interesting. But what happened with the Titanic? So <clears throat> uh, 14 years before the ill-fated Titanic hit an iceberg, author Morgan uh, Robertson penned a tragedy at sea called Fruit- Futility or the Wreck of the Titan, in which another supposedly unsinkable boat sinks after hitting an iceberg. The similarities were truly creepy, right down to the name of the boat, Titan. But as Titanic scholar Paul Heyer explained in an interview, Robertson was far from a prophet. He was someone who wrote about maritime affairs. He was an experienced seaman, and he saw (laughs) ships as getting very large and the possible danger that one of these behemoths could hit an iceberg. So he was making more of a prediction... In his own way. Based off of his own experience. Yeah, and it just happened to line up. That's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, Alexander Graham Bell, he actually predicted green the greenhouse effect, um, which, I mean, if you look at history and the way that our weather has been recorded, and I mean, mm-hmm. ba- even back in that time, I'm sure there was, and this is from a 1917 paper, so they still, they, they were keeping records of weather for quite a while. I mean, almanac, how far does the almanac go? I mean, you, you can see those trends, but yeah. he said that um, uh, that that there will be some sort of greenhouse effect if we have an unchecked burning of fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wrote that uh, it will have a sort of a hot, it will turn the earth into some sort of hot house. And he wondered in a piece of, uh, for National Geographic, when all the oil and coal dries up. His suggestions were that uh, alcohol as an, would be an uh, alternative fuel and devices that would collect solar power from sunlight and use it as an energy source. His ideas didn't get much traction at the time, but 100 years later, global warming is the center of a worldwide debate. And all those uh, all, alternate, uh, alternate energy sources are everywhere now. You know, it's, uh, yeah. the, back in 1917, he was talking I, about who that. Who was that? That was Alexander Graham Bell. That was? Yeah. I was pretty sure it was. I was pretty sure it was Henry Ford that was like all about the alcohol engines. Did you ever hear about that? Well, I'm sure that it was not. They, he wasn't the only one that thought about alcohol. Oh no, 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 no. For fuel. Yeah, I'm sure he wasn't. He warned. He warned of it too. So there were some industry people that really wanted us to lean towards an ethanol-based vehicle rather than, you know, gasoline. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you know that James Dean's death was predicted? No, I didn't. Uh, he, James Dean, if you don't know, Google it, kids, died in a car crash at the young age of 23, and nobody saw it coming. That is, but his fellow thespian Alec Guinness. As the future Jedi Master, Guinness played Ben Kenobi in the Star Wars movies. He explained in a BBC interview in 1977 that he, he had met Dean only once at a Hollywood restaurant. Dean showed off his new car to Guinness, bragging that it could reach speeds of 150 miles per hour. Guinness says, some strange things, some strange things come true. Uh, sorry, some strange things come over me. I said, please do not get into that car, because if you do, by 10 o'clock at night next Thursday, you'll be dead. Guinness didn't just predict the Rebel Without a Cause star's death, but the exact date, September 30th, 1955, it would happen. Whoa. That's a trip. Like he had a gut feeling. He yeah. is his Jedi 
powers were tingling. <laughs> he had the force with him. That's really sad. Uh, autocorrect fails were predicted. Did you know that? No. What the duck? Why don't you know that? Uh, the Simpsons made a lot of eerily accurate predictions about the future. They jokingly claimed that Donald Trump would become president, for one thing. <laughs> but ever so often, the show actually helped change the course of history. It happened in 1994 in an episode where Kearney asks his fellow bully to take a memo on his Newton, Apple's early attempt at a personal digital assistant. But when the bully writes down, beat up Martin, the device translate his translates his writing as eat up Martha. <laughs> Almost two decades later, Nitin Ganatra, Nitin Ganatra, Apple's former director of engineering for iOS applications, claimed that the mortifying moment inspired the new and improved iPhone software. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, it, if you heard people talking and they used the words, eat up Martha, it was basically a reference to the fact that we needed to nail the keyboard, he said. We needed to make sure the text input works on these on these things. Otherwise... Here comes the eat up Martha's, <laughs> but the, now the new age eat up Martha is what the duck. Yeah. Because I never write what the duck in my, my text. No, never. No, you know, I think the way around that these days has been the, the fuck abbreviation. The yeah. fuck? The fuck? How do you, how do you apply that? What? How do you apply TF. that? The fuck. Oh. What the fuck? Instead of what the what the instead of writing out what the fuck? Yeah. What TF? The fuck. Yeah, the fuck. Okay. Blogging was uh, <laughs> blogging was predicted back in 1835. Did you know that? I obviously did not. How could a 19th century Russian prince possibly have predicted the age of blogging? Well, not only did Vladimir Odevsky imagine such a thing the renowned philosopher composer and science fiction writer might have invented it more than a hundred years before the internet even launched in his 1835 novel titled year 4338 he attempted to predict that the world would look like in 2500 years odevsky wrote the houses would be connected by means of magnetic telegraphs that allow people who live far from each other to communicate yeah Got that. Yep. Each house would publish a daily journal or newsletter, provided information, basically like the basically. iPads, uh, about the, uh, or, you know, TV. Mm -hmm. They didn't have that then. About the host's good or bad health, family news, different thoughts and comments, small inventions, invitations, or two receptions. Yep. Facebook. Yeah. You got it. All social media. Uh, and share it with the world. In the other word, in other words, oversharing with strangers via technology. Yep. Sounds like blogging. Yep. Oh, that's interesting. 19th century Russian science fiction. Uh, I didn't even think that they had like science fiction. I mean, H.G. Wells, right? Jules Verne. What year? This is 1835. Man, that was such a prime time for like learning and exploring. And Yeah, the future was yeah. so bright. It was. Yeah. But I feel like there was corruption and darkness and Forever. evil. Forever. lurking everywhere we're human yeah i think we it's can ro we can romanticize these things like oh that's so cute we predicted things like the internet back in the 1800s when in reality this was probably their escape and they were like you know for a hopeful future because life just sucked so bad for whatever reason they were they were living in at that time i mean they don't have they didn't have doordash back then how can you live well they didn't, they didn't have, have food delivery they didn't have Amazon Prime where they can get their shit delivered to them every in two days or less. No, no. 
So life must have been awful, right? Must have been. Uh, the Chicago Cubs winning the World Series uh, was predicted back in 1993. Uh, oh, really? Uh, yep, that's not very interesting. <clears throat> hmm. GPS. Oh, earbuds. Earbuds were uh, predicted in 1953. There's not much in Ray Bradbury's 1953 dystopian novel, Fahrenheit 51, that he wanted to come true, that he wanted to come, that we wanted to come true someday. <laughs> but there's one detail that we're glad became a reality. In the society of Bradbury's book, they're obsessed with entertainment and need to be constantly distracted by mass media. Many oh, of them fuck, do so, so with little seashells filling their ears with an electronic ocean of sound. Of music and talk and music and talk. They sound just like today's wireless earbuds, except with way more government mind control. He invented Spotify. Group think. Ray Brad Ray Bradbury is one of my favorite uh novelists from when I was in school. Yeah. All of his books. My my English teacher had a really cool way of storytelling too, mm -hmm. which I should have learned a thing or two. I'm really awful at storytelling. You're not terrible but at storytelling. He's he, he was so good. He he in fact he would do this whole thing, uh whole like what what do they call it? Uh um it's not lesson plan, but he would do this whole curriculum based around uh creative writing, but mm -hmm. he would do like scary stories. So like Ray Bradbury was one mm -hmm. um and he would do it so well. He'd he'd black out all the windows He'd okay. light everything up by candlelight, and then he'd get you, he'd really get you in the mood and and inside the story. I'm surprised you don't read more. It was one of the coolest things about you know my yeah. my childhood growing up and sure. in school. Uh, Mr. Publicover. I don't, I don't know if anybody is listening right now will ever know David Publicover, but he's one of my favorite teachers. That was probably my first mentor ever. One we, of the best. We had one sort of similar to that. He would have us act out the part. Like he was our history teacher, yeah. And like in sixth grade, um, we sort of had to learn to do like the change classes thing. So like my normal class, I would leave for one semester or trimester or whatever, and go to we'd like we trade off all the the sixth grade teachers or fifth grade. I don't remember if it was fifth or sixth. Mister Henchkey, he was, I swear he was the inventor of like the memes. Oh really? Absolutely. He would post a funny picture of an animal every week and write a, and on an, a manila envelope and it was on like the board and you'd have to submit your comment. Oh, so you caption your own picture. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Wow, so that is way before way, memeing it. I was in sixth grade. So 1990. Yeah. 1995. Yeah, back in the day. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I remember that. So I had some pretty good practice when it came to captioning nice. pictures but he would have us act out the parts for like um you know homer's odyssey we all had our own parts and mm -hmm. we did it like a play so nice. it was really fun it was the most fun in his class did you know that online shopping was predicted in 1967 i believe it that's the year both my parents were born really 1967 yeah Aww, uh so wait no that's not true yeah no that is true no no yes yeah yes uh, yes, yes, because I, I've been doing my genealogy thing. <laughs> I've been, I've been getting on the. Uh, so I, I did, I, I did one of my. So hooked on that. I, I did one of my DNA tests, right? And yeah. we, we both did our DNA tests, yeah. and I've been hooked on going back and building my family tree. It's like a, it's like an additional thing you can do on this particular site that we do. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure you can figure it out 
after we're talking about it. I mean, you can find your ancestors. Um, so you're you're going deeper than your DNA. You can find people that share your similar DNA strains. But what's more interesting for me is finding all the people that uh, raised my grandparents and their great grandparents and the great great grandparents mm-hmm. and you know there's extended family that 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 pop up and finding the history and i've got a lot of family from virginia from ohio new mexico from before technically mexico yeah but so this is before uh like the late 1700s that i that i'm getting back to so this is before mexico became mm-hmm. even independent so the new mexico area was technically mexico um, so that's where my Mexican side's from. And then I got like Native American side mm-hmm. um, from uh, Choctaw, Choctaw, Oklahoma. Yeah. Uh, a lot of Oklahoma, oh, there's uh, Oklahoma roots. And then you go get deeper into it. And then you finally get to the old world where we're in England. Um, so it's super interesting. Um, and I don't really remember why I was going there. But oh, because my parents birth year. And that's when online shopping was predicted. Yeah. Few people saw the short film 1999 AD when it first came out in 1967. Have you seen that movie? Which no, movie? No, you haven't. Uh, which is a shame because it showcases a house of tomorrow that feels very much like the house of today. From push-button kitchens to fingertip shopping to electronic correspondence machines. It accurately predicted many modern conveniences that we take for granted in 2019. And for a deeper look at what that time is like, uh, here's a link that you can't click on because uh, I'm reading the story off of a piece of paper. <laughs> <laughs> oh, crap. So I'm curious more about your uh, your family tree here, sir. What do you want to know? Well, what's the oldest the oldest one you can go back to? Um, It goes back to the 1700s, but I can't really dig too much deeper because you have to pay for an extra service. Oh, yeah, because the international records? Yeah, yeah. I, I can only look through the domestic stuff. Unless I wanted to pay an extra fee, which is like Did I something look, crazy. Is it, well, it's either forty nine, it's either thirty nine or one hundred and forty nine, and I can't remember. It's not a monthly fee, is it? It's one hundred and forty nine for like a c- couple of months. I don't remember, but it's oh something God. crazy, and I don't know if it's really worth it yet. Maybe what we need to do is go onto one account, like just transfer all of my stuff over to one account to. Yours or mine. I don't know if you can do that. I don't either. Well, but you because can have it's multiple. All t- it's all tied to your DNA, and it's all set up through yeah, that one account. True. Like we can't, we I can't know. do the household thing. I'm sorry. I want. To I'm sorry. For you. Um. Yeah. But did you know that waterbeds were predicted in 1961? And I think every time I'm going to ask you this, you're you're, you're not going to say yes. So why do I keep asking? Well, I might say yes. Okay. Uh, most people remember science fiction writer Robert Heinlein. Do you remember him? No. Okay. As the author who predicted the Cold War and the nuclear arms race that dominated much of the late 20th century. Sure, that's pretty impressive, but we're way more impressed with how he inspired the waterbed. His 1961 novel, Stranger in a Strange Land, contained a convincing detailed description of a mattress filled with water, which he called a hydraulic bed. Though he never capitalized on actually bringing them to fruition, just a decade later in 1971, Art student and inventor Charles Pryor Hall secured a patent for the thing. Maybe he got an idea from the book. Maybe. Right? Or maybe he looked at, uh, like, floating on the water and thought, wow, that'd be really cool to put that in my room. Hmm. Have you ever had a waterbed? Uh, no, I haven't owned... I always had cats. Yeah, uh, yeah. That was always, like, rule number one, like, no waterbeds. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I've, I've experienced a waterbed. I've never, I've never slept in one. 
I've never fucked in one. I've sat on somebody's waterbed, but I wouldn't want to sleep in one. I feel like I would be cold all the time. I think I remember that being the one of the issues. My parents had one, yeah. and it was like a king size one. It was, it was so gaudy too. Like it was ridiculously beastly big. Yeah. Like there, there was. I mean, the frame itself that has to the hold of weight. the water yeah. bed portion had to be super durable and strong. Yeah. But it wasn't just the frame around it. And then, so it was basically a large, dark wooden box where they would, they put the bed mattress in there. And there's just this big watery bed. And that was fine. But on the edges of the box, they put these insert things, like these padded uh, rails on them. And they had to like slide in. And whenever you'd move, those those rails would creak and crack and creak because they were like, they had like vinyl on them. Right. So they were soft yeah. and padded, almost like a, like, like a bench or a, a booth at a restaurant, you know, the soft padding and you just move around in the bed. And if you move around enough, they would just pop off. And then, so there was also like a big shelf on the back and just it, a nightmare. It was, it was. And I remember we, we had moved quite a bit, when I was younger and I think it was just after one or two moves where my parents were like, fuck this. this is like yeah. way too much. And I just remember it just being the biggest hassle. It's like the original like sleep number bed though. Like you could make it a little softer, or a little harder. Could you though? I, I mean, don't know. How could you like you cool it down? Was it plugged no. into a, like did it have no. some sort of cooling like harder system? and softer? Not like how, how do you adjust that in a water a bed? Water has of one water. Oh, so you take water out? Yeah, you put water not in? put as much in, or I'm just saying it was similar to that. I don't remember analog version that of sleep number. <laughs> <laughs> I guess uh, it's one number H two O. Um, let's see, antidepressants were were predicted in 1931. Yeah, well, that doesn't surprise me. That's like the peak of chemistry. Yeah. Um, Colin Kaepernick's football career was predicted in 1998. When he was just 11 years old, Colin Kaepernick was given a fourth grade assignment asking him to predict what he'd be doing with his life as he as a grown up. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, that's, that's not just, a, uh, that's bullshit. That's crap. Yeah, your vision board and you made it. Good for you. Good for, you know how many athletes did that? I know, right? Everybody dreams to be a star athlete it's when called they're a kid. Focus, he, you idiot. He just happened to make it and he did make it for a bit, right? Cool. Yeah. You decided your career as an eleven year old child. <laughs> See how far that got you. Oh man. Did everything you dreamed of, Kaepernick? What? You done? Was that harsh? No. I think you should just take a knee. I wouldn't want to offend anyone. I know, right? Uh, let's see. I totally made a like a rock star. I saw that you made uh you made uh, not Huckleberry Finn. You made Mark Twain look like uh David Bowie. Yeah, that's pretty awesome, isn't it? I should put that. We should take a picture of that and use that as the uh, cover for the podcast. You're welcome. That's really cool. Thank you. Um, it was predicted that Americans will work 26 hours a week. <laughs> well, they talk about doing the four-day work weeks now. They've been trying them out. Oh, God. In 1968... Pray, Pray Brandon. <laughs> physicist Herman Kahn and futurist Anthony J. Weiner said that by 2020, Americans would work 1,370 hours a year, or 26 hours a week, instead of the 1,940 hours, or 37 hours a week that was average at the time. 
Well, we it's unlikely. Break that down. Though we will, we'd work less than we did in 1968, the average American worked nearly 1,800 hours in 2018. That's 35 hours a week. According to the Organization of the Economic Cooperation and Development. I mean, technically, a lot of people only work 26 hours a week. Mm-hmm. Because corporations do weird things like... Restrict how many hours you can work. So that they don't have to pay for insurance. Mm. So while that might actually be true, it's not for the reasons you want it to be. True. And then there's the salary workers that work way more hours than they're supposed to. But those <clears throat> those don't really get necessarily reported the same way. Right. 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 So it's like there's sort of like this give and take. Mm-hmm. Um, everything else that I have that was predicted... Uh, to happen by 2020 is pretty depressing. Like, uh, let's see. Oh, God. Uh, Americans will vote electronically. Well, that's not really depressing. That's um, true, though. Heart disease, depression will be world's top diseases. That's true. That's true. Uh, Boris Johnson would lead Brexit. That's true. Well, um, those are those are things that are like you can you can sort of predict. Based on Ooh. educated guesses. This is kind of interesting. Anti-gravity belts will revolutionize warfare. Space wars. Imagine a world where battles are fought a few feet above the ground as soldiers hover in midair. In 1968, mathematician and scientist D.G. Brennan predicted that anti-gravity belts would revolutionize the tactics of land warfare writing that even if the anti-gravity mechanism did not itself provide horizontal propulsion, relatively modest sources of thrust could easily be provided. Okay, but I see so many more applications for that kind of thing. It's true. Like, I don't know, painting a house. Or flying cars. or Getting a cat out of a tree. He suspected that by 2018, humans would would have anti-gravity cars and jetpacks capable of operating for 30 minutes. Nope. Not Not yet. Not for mass consumption and not anti-gravity. We still haven't figured out gravity. That's true. We're trying. I think that was fun. Was that fun? That was yeah. fun. Yeah, it's kind of laid back, kind of uh, less, a little more casual, right? Yeah. I like it. Um, I really appreciate you sticking it through this episode of the Rad Podcast. Um, I'm going to get back to the drawing board. There's some big things that I want to do uh, music-related for the next couple of episodes. Um, I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be planning a 420 episode with our friends, Chad and Carissa that we had on uh, last week. Um, it's going to be pretty cool. I think we're going to do a kind of an audio tour of a uh, grow operation. We can maybe discuss the intricacies that go behind that, but I also think it'd be cool to try some of the product and test it on the podcast. That'd be cool, right? I think so. Yeah, I mean, we get to try some some products and and feel good while doing it. Feel medicated. I think people will get a kick out of it. Oh, uh, friendly PSA. Yes, for our fellow pot smokers. I just learned that peppercorn is the natural antidote. Like if you have too, if you smoke yeah. too much. Like if you overdose, which you can't do. Well, no, you can. You, you like, can overdo it. You can overdo it. Yeah. Uh, you can you, have too many edibles. Really dizzy and get nauseous now when when you told me about this it made me wonder because uh you know animals sometimes if you're irresponsible and you leave an edible cookie out yeah like that video of that husky dog that ate a bunch of yeah brownies and that right so So, if you're irresponsible like that and you leave just your your stuff around and that like that kind of husky dog gets high 
Can you feed it peppercorn and it'll feel better? You know. Do you have to like chew it up? I don't know because animals, I don't know. We're going to have to look into this. Animals metabolize things so differently than humans. Mm. So I'm not sure, first of all, if you could even get the animal to eat it. And two, if it would do anything for them. Now, animals can overdose on marijuana and die from it. And I like we need to be clear about that because they have different heart rhythms. Like dogs don't necessarily have a solid heart rhythm like humans do. Like it can fluctuate. And with that being said, if their heart rate drops too low, they'll basically just shut down. So there is that risk, but I don't. I don't. So don't feed your don't feed your dogs peppercorns unless you. uh, Don't feed your dogs marijuana. Don't do that. Absolutely. First and foremost, yeah. But I think if you're gonna feed your dogs peppercorns, check check with your vet first. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Let's check into that. Uh, So PSA to those of you who are getting too stoned: eat peppercorns. Just put a don't feed it to your dogs. Put a handful of peppercorns in your pocket if you're going to a a festival. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) If you need a little bit of relief. Uh, that's going to do it for us today. Thank you for helping me out with this, Mrs. Brandon. No problem. Um, until next time, namaste, bitches. The Rad Broadcast. The Rad Broadcast. The Rad Broadcast.